is up, Everlast? How are we doing tonight? Man, it's so good to see everybody. It's so good. Actually, just real quick, I want to give God glory for uh, Jeremy and for Savannah and Sarah and Taylor and, I, and, and Israel. Could you please give God glory for them leading worship? So thankful for them. Like, like you said, Wesley's uh, uh, out of town, <laughs> literally way out of town. He's in Israel. Uh, so thankful for that. Uh, so amen. Also, I just wanted to just real quick give a shout out to a brother of mine. I just saw his name's Isaiah. Can y'all see, y'all see Isaiah back there? Wave, Isaiah. All, hey, y'all check it out. All, all of our Everlast bumper videos, my bro makes right there. Yeah. So y'all give it up for Isaiah. Amen. Amen. So, uh, so guys, uh, if you're new here, my name is Kev. Uh, it's, everybody say hi, Kev. Everybody say your name. Everybody say your name out loud on three. One, two, three. It's nice to meet you. Uh, man, and by, by God's awesome grace, I get to be the young adult pastor here at Calvary Worship Center. And Everlast is, of course, our young adult ministry. And uh, we, we, uh, it's our goal uh, that we collectively encounter Jesus, grow in Jesus, and make Jesus known. Listen, if you're new, seriously, please, we are so, uh, hear me when I say this, we're so glad that you came. Thank you for coming. Please remember to go out in our, uh, our Life Center afterwards one of our awesome Everlast uh, volunteers will sign you in. You'll get a free gift just uh, just for, uh, just to, yeah, you get a free gift, and it's us saying, thank you for coming. Amen. Uh, well, like you are hearing, and like you see, we're currently in a series called Love Routes, and let me reiterate the heart behind this series. End of the day, when it comes to the world of love, everybody say love. Yeah, <laughs> nice. Uh, some of you are single, some of you um, are dating, uh, some of you are engaged, some of you are married. All of us are on different routes, uh, but the destination is the same, the destination being Jesus. Some of you might say uh, stages, but actually the word stages, um, we would say it could imply that there is a better or next step to get to. Um, if I say uh, you know, you are in the singleness stage, well then naturally that can imply that the next stage or rather step for you to take is to get married. But God in his sovereignty, that is his plans, may have you in, in that specific route for a while or uh, it may be a route that God actually calls you to. Uh, so with that being said, we want to work through every route and ultimately what the Bible has to say about it. Amen. Our first week, Pastor Nathan did a great job on teaching the route of singleness. He talked about that in that specific route, we are to thrive and, and actually enjoy the time of singleness that God has given to us, using it for his glory. Um, last week, my wife Tina did an awesome job of unpacking uh, the dating route by specifically addressing when we date, who we date, and how we date. If you haven't had a chance to listen to those sermons, uh, I just highly encourage you go to our podcast. You can check it out on, on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And uh, I, just, yeah, I encourage you to listen to those. But tonight, Everlast, tonight, uh, we continue our series, Love Routes, by talking about the route of engagement. Engagement. With that being said, I would love to just pray for us one more time. Is that cool? Can we pray together? Amen. Let's pray. Amen. Well, Father in heaven, we thank you for who you are. Thank you, Lord. We thank you for your grace towards us. Thank you for, God, thank you so much for what you're doing here at Everlast and at our church as a whole. We are so grateful. 
God, I want to thank you for everybody here. Whether, whether we've been looking forward to Everlast all day and couldn't wait to get here or we got randomly invited by a friend. Regardless, God, none of it is random to you. You have so very clearly brought everyone here tonight. And so, God, I'm asking for your help tonight. I'm asking for your help. Would you open our minds? God, would you open our minds that we would understand what it is you are thinking about? And God, I would also specifically pray that you would open our hearts that we could feel what you care about. God, I pray that we would be changed as a result of these few moments together. And Lord, I just, yeah, help us, Lord. Help us to listen well tonight. God, it's crazy. We, our phones are constantly tugging at us, constantly. Pray that we would just be focused on you and your word tonight. Now, I just encourage you to pray for your own heart. Just a brief moment. I just encourage you to pray this simple prayer. God, speak to me tonight. And now I'll just encourage you to pray that same prayer for the person on your left and right. Pray this. Say, God, would you speak to them tonight? And lastly, I just would kindly ask that you please pray for me, that God would, would use me to make things helpful and clear for you tonight. Oh, Father, we love you so much. Please speak to us now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, Everlast, I'll, uh, I'll, be, I'll be honest with you tonight. As if I would lie. <laughs> I always laugh at that phrase. I'll be honest with you. I was a royal idiot when it came to dating. Going all the way back to junior high, there were so, <laughs> so many things in my immaturity that I did wrong. My first girlfriend, I actually didn't talk to her at all. I, I was too intimidated. I was way too intimidated. I've shared this story before, but she actually broke up with me because of it. Go figure. I finally got, y'all, I finally got the courage to go talk to her one day at lunch. Whirly Junior High. Big lunchroom, all these vending machines, and I, was, I had the best idea. I was going to go buy us both a Coke. That'll do it. So I bought my Coke, and I bought her Coke. Once that second Coke dropped down, I felt this little tap on my shoulder. I turned around, it was her. She was uh, with two of her friends, and I did that. <laughs> like that big, that gulp. It's y'all straight out of a movie scene. She proceeded to tell me that she didn't think that we should go out anymore. Which, by the way, first thing, I, I'm not sure what the kids are calling it these days, but growing up, dating meant you were going out. Uh, you know, that was what my generation called it. Um, and as junior hires, I, I just... We definitely didn't go out anywhere. We couldn't drive. It's like, I just always thought that was interesting, funny, you know. 
So second, second thing, though, about this, did you catch some of the details that I just shared about that first breakup? She came to break up with me, not only in a public setting, like lunch, the l- lunchtime, right? She had two of her besties for the resties with her. And, and man, honestly, it, it sucked. It was so embarrassing. It was so embarrassing. I remember like it was yesterday. My second girlfriend was my first kiss. Uh, and after stirring all sorts of puppy love and emotions over the course of the long dating period, one month, I proceeded to break up with her on the phone. Hmm. She wrote me a five-page front and back letter. And she said, literally in the letter, I know in five years this won't, it won't matter. And no joke, I kind of, I would keep my notes. I don't know if you could, I, you know, I'm kind of a sentimentalist. I keep some of the notes and I had this box full of notes. And five years later, I was 19, or I was 18, and I opened it up and I read, I was like, she's right, doesn't it? <laughs> I ain't worried about a thing, no. Uh, as I got older, though, it seemed as if my maturity was chugging along pretty, pretty slow behind me, like uh, when it came to dating. By the way, quick advice. You want someone who is mature. <laughs> Be, uh, just because their age has a higher number everlast doesn't mean their maturity does. Um, everlast all the way up to my early 20s. I had a natural tendency to be an inward, self-serving punk. Like, for real. Like, my, my, by my mid-20s, I honestly, y'all, I was pretty done with dating. I was pretty done. And it was by God's grace. And boy, oh boy, do I mean it with every fiber in my body. By God's grace, my wife Tina came my way. But although I was pretty done with dating, God wasn't done with me. Hallelujah. Can someone say amen to that? Through brothers and other pastors in my life, uh, through God's word and ultimately um, the Holy Spirit's convicting, challenging, and encouraging grace, that maturity I mentioned a second ago seemed to finally catch up to me. Uh, the dating route, if not careful, Everlast, is a, gosh, a, it's full of landmines. Full of landmines. Once God brought Tina in my life, I did not want to take, like, like in my past, I don't want to take her and just grab her by the hands and just frolically, you know, go through the landmines. Like, no, like, that's not, that's not what I wanted to do. I didn't want to jack this one up. And so I proceeded to pursue Tina with a compassionate caution. And ultimately, a greater understanding, guess what? That it wasn't about me. Some of y'all need to hear that tonight. It is not about you. I was at a great place in my life. I, you know, I had a career. I had some money saved up and, and a maturing faith and, and, and a heart that was ultimately open-handed to what God wanted. His will be done. Like He, he knows what's best for me and for you. I remember one of the men that was discipling me at the time uh, told me that where I was at, I ought to know if I'm going to marry this girl in six months. Right, he was. And don't hear what I'm not saying. He wasn't counseling me to make, to make like a hurried, irrational decision. No, he was trying to cultivate in me a simplicity. Truth is, people have a tendency to overcomplicate how they know that they know that engagement is the next route they should take. We need to be talking about this tonight. Like Tina shared last week, like, listen, while on the route of dating, you are chasing after God. And when you meet, and then you meet someone who is chasing after God as well. And as that happens, you grip 
hands and with that person and eva- you evaluate and you, you, you are meant to, if you're, gonna, if you're meant to run together after God for the rest of your lives. That's the purpose of dating. Dating isn't a status, it's a process. It's where you evaluate. Now, the term dating isn't specifically mentioned in the Bible. It's not mentioned in the Bible. It's not like the Bible says, and Boaz took Ruth unto Chili's and later broke bread in the form of Twizzlers at the newest rom, and they watched the newest rom-com at the nearest Cinemark Theater. No, like, but y'all check this out. The term engagement is, in the Bible, being that it's actually synonymous with the word betrothed. More on this in a bit. In preparing for the sermon, I was reminded of Proverbs chapter 18, uh, verse 22, which states, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. The word finds in the Hebrew means to attain, find, acquire. So it's in the finding, a.k.a. dating, where we do the evaluating. Real quick, before we move further into this, if, you could, if I could, everybody just listen close to this. Everlast, dating Engagement and marriage is not where we find our identity. I didn't look into my wife's eyes when we were dating, let alone we were engaged or when we're married to make my soul complete. No, I simply grabbed her hands and she grabbed mine running together towards God's purposes together. Y'all listen, in, in 1995, my, my dad had been married to my, my mom for like 17 years. And then my mom, at 35 years old, my age right now, she passed away of breast cancer. She is now in glory. And you'll find out real quick when you lose someone that you love, if your identity was actually wrapped around that person or is in Christ. That's, that's real talk. And it's my dad's testimony is an amazing testimony where he really realized Jesus, his Lord, <laughs> all the more even in that. No human will complete your soul. With engagement, y'all, there's much more we can say. So if dating is about evaluation, engagement is about preparing for union. If dating is about evaluation, engagement is about preparing for union. In the Bible, there, check this out, y'all. In the Bible, there were three steps, three steps the Jewish people had to take when getting married. The families first had to agree to the union, and then a public announcement was made. At this particular point, the couple was betrothed or engaged. Finally, they were officially married and began to live together. Betrothal then was somewhat similar to what we call engagement now, except that our society does not honor the seriousness of engagement as they did then. When a Jewish couple was betrothed during Bible times, they were already bound together that could only be broken through death or divorce. Very interesting stuff. Any Christian who is considering marriage needs to realize the depth of this kind of commitment and not not jump into it lightly. Y'all, it's so crazy that our culture is so quick to jump into it in a light way. God intends marriage to be a lifelong commitment, not a temporary arrangement. We're going to be talking about that next week as well. Tina and I, 
yeah, we're going to be expounding way more about marriage next week as we'll be co-teaching together. But to briefly share, the Bible says this about marriage. Mark chapter 10, verse 7 through 9. This explains why a man leaves his father and a mother is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one separate them, for God has joined them together. Hallelujah. To reiterate, if dating is about evaluation, engagement is about preparing for union. Union is the action of fact of joining or being joined. All right? Union is the merging of two lives. Think about it. Everlast, think about it. It's the merging of our finances. It's the merging of our families. It's the merging of our futures. It's saying that we are now joining together to run together into the unknown. Again, there's much you can say about it, y'all. It's a tender thing. It really is. It's a tender thing. I'm not sure if you've ever driven a boat. I have, and honestly, engagement is a lot, a lot alike. I would say bringing a boat up to a dock. <laughs> there's, there's a way to do it that's smooth, and it barely even causes a ripple in the water. There's also a way to do it that it goes crashing into the dock, sends wood and fiberglass and humans everywhere, you know. Um, so how, how, so I, I think a good question is, is how do we dock into each other's lives well? How do you know that you know that the person you are pursuing or being pursued by is the one you are to marry? How do you know, I'm sorry, how do you go from evaluating to union? That's what we're going to talk about. That's what we're talking about tonight. We aren't going to be able to cover everything about engagement tonight, but I want to be sure to share a handful of things that I believe everlast. I believe is important for you to not only consider, but to live out by the grace of God. We're going to be looking at many scriptures, but to start with the book of the Song of Solomon. It's honestly one of the most beautiful books of the Bible. We've read through some of it here at Everlast, and y'all, it's... it's it, What's great about the Song of Solomon is that, y'all, it doesn't just warn you, you know, against the dangers of lust and sex outside of marriage. No, that would be the absolute wrong interpretation of this book. Rather, it shows you the beauty of it done right. It's beautiful poetry that, that's either by or about King Solomon. And the, uh, and the courting and marriage and love that he had for his love. I want to spend uh, time at the beginning of this particular book of the Bible uh, to get a glimpse of what it was like as this particular relationship was journeying on a route which ultimately led to their union. Now, a great question to ask when it comes to engagement at this. It's a long question, but I think it's on the screen. Listen to this. There it is. What should we feel and see in the other person giving us a biblical confidence that this is the one I meant to run with and chase after Jesus for a long lifetime on earth. First point, if you're taking notes, you should feel and see excitement. Pause. Wrong. Genuine excitement. I preface the word excitement with genuine because I think there's a big difference everlasting. I would say that just excitement can be a surfacey. It can be temporal. We all we get excited about a lot of stuff, right? We get excited about the vacation you've planned or tickets to a concert, but but those things are but for are for but a moment. Genuine excitement, I would say, comes from that that deep place. It's a forever type of excitement based on faith and not feelings. Genuine excitement welcomes everything that is and will be with this person 
not just picking and choosing them to make them fit your bill. We see this at the beginning of Song of Solomon chapter 1. Song of Solomon chapter 1 verse 2. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. Right from the get-go, y'all, right from the get-go, you see a genuine excitement. She's like, I love this dude. I feel excited about him when I think about him. I want my face to be smashed up against his face. I want my face as close as possible. I, I, I want to be near this dude. <laughs> she is infatuatedly and, and, and genuinely excited about this guy. Is it wrong to be this way, y'all? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Clearly, the Bible shows us in this one verse, y'all, relationships are ultimately a gift from God. You see then that she says in the next portion of, the first, of this first verse that his love is better than wine. Y'all, wine in the Middle East was the drink of celebration. It was a drink of celebration. It was the, y'all, it, it was the most delightful thing you could put to your lips. It would make you warm inside and lightheaded. She said, this is how he makes me feel. He's delightful. I'm warm. I'm a little crazy. I, that's how he makes me feel when I'm around him. Which, dudes, that implies, check, dudes, <laughs> dudes, fellas, that implies this question. What just has he done to get her so dialed up with excitement? Some of y'all are like, I need to know this. I need to know what makes her feel that way. Yeah. She later says, Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 3. Verse 3, check this out. She says, your anointing oils are fragrant. Now, this could mean that his cologne game was strong. I know mine is. <laughs> I've been repping Curve since junior high. Well, I guess it didn't really work in junior high. Sorry. Bad example. I think it smells great. So does Tina. It's all matters. But dudes back, y'all, dudes back then, they would wear aromatic oils because truth is, it's an area that's hot. And thanks to testosterone, dudes sweat pretty bad. And so, yeah, that plus there weren't a lot of showers back then. Dudes would wear these oils to mask the funk. <laughs> Uh, which, if you think about it, I thought about this too. I was like, speaking of junior high, junior high boys that mask their funk with Axe body spray. Yeah, someone said yeah to that. All right. Okay. You need to keep listening to me, man. Uh, listen, I, I just think that they sh probably shouldn't even spray the Axe because, you know, it's better for them to just smell bad. Because I think Axe plus funk just makes it more funky. You know, so, so check this out. Listen, listen. She, she, she's most likely saying, you smell fantastic. So, dudes, good tip to know. If you want to get engaged one day, bathe. Bathe. Just as you see in the next moment of this verse, y'all, this is super important, man. This is super important. There's actually something deeper going on. Not just his smell. There's something deeper going on. Song of Solomon 1.3. She says, your name is oil poured out. Y'all, that is brilliant poetry. Brilliant. You see, our, I think most of you, if not all of you, know our, our, our sense of smell is directly tied to memory. When you smell something, you instantly react. Y'all, I used to be a paramedic. And man, oh man, I smelled some bad things. I mean, wow, wow. I would literally take like Carmax or, you know, something menthol and swipe my nose just to save my nostrils. But Everlast, 
what happens, what happens when smell occurs? If something smells wonderful, what do you do? What do you do? You lean in. Hmm. Smells good, right? If it smells horrible, what do you do? Ugh. You recoil. You crimp your nose, right? Ugh. And you try to block the smell from entering your nostrils. You do that with both. Bad, you, you, you respond to a bad smell and a good smell. You also do that when you remember somebody's name. You respond this way to names. If I say a name like Hitler, you go, oh, you recoil. You may not even remember some particular speech he gave or whatever. What, you're th what, what are you thinking about then if you hear that name? Well, that name brings to mind what? It brings to mind his character, his reputation. The accumulating, the accumulated, rather, effect of his horrific, faithless, nasty, outright demonic decisions you respond to just by hearing his name. When you hear that name, you recoil. Or if I say a name like Martin Luther King Jr., you go, yeah. <laughs> you respond positively to that name because you know, you, know, you know of some awesome character attributes about him, the kind of person he was. Everlast, your name is your reputation. Your name is your character. This obviously goes for both guy and girl. Listen, listen to this, y'all. When your name is spoken, it calls thoughts to people's minds. It causes them to respond. I think the question is, though, how... How do they respond when they hear your name? Do they think of a trustworthy person? A reliable one? A caring one? She said, your name is oil poured out. When people hear your name, do they go, mm, that's a good man. That man cares about people. That man has integrity. He says what he means and he does what he says. That guy is right. He's good. The question is, for both guy and girl, do they do that to you? Love this proverb. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 1. It's on the screen. Check it out. Proverbs 22, 1. A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. This leads to another thing you should feel and see if you're taking notes. Ready? Character. Character. Listen and listen to me close, Everlast. Marry character. Marry character. Let character be what turns you on. Literally. Why? Because y'all, looks fade. Looks fade. Y'all, ladies, his ears will get bigger and bigger. His butt will get shrivelier and shrivelier. Just flat, nothing there. The, y'all, the looks will fade. The looks will fade. Proverbs 31 says, charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Looks will fade. But is he a good listener? 
Is he kind to you? Is she kind to you in his or her speech or their actions? Let me tell you something. When you put a ring on, that will not change his character or hers. Mm -mm. Let me ask this too. Does he or she have a heart of worship? Like, does loving Jesus with everything they have get them out of bed in the morning? Are they radically in love with Jesus? Back to our text. Character actually isn't just what excites him or her. Before we dive into this more, you also see in chapter 2 that he, in chapter 2 of Song of Solomon, he feels attracted to her beauty. He said in verse 10 of, uh, of chapter 2, Arise, my love, my beautiful one. Which, let me just say it simply, speaking of looks. Listen, attraction is something, but it is not everything. Like we said a second ago, looks fade. It's something to be, it is not something to be focused on. Rather, we should feel and see something deeper. What else besides character? What else besides character? Well, if you notice in this specific verse, before he even recognizes her beauty, he says, my love. Chapter 2, verse 10, he says, my love. Which he actually, he actually says it nine times in this very short book. Why does he say it nine times? Well, that word, my love, in the Hebrew is raya, and it is translated as friend, companion. This is where in our culture we say, best friend. The reason he has a genuine excitement towards her isn't just for a beauty or even something as important as character. This leads to something else we should feel and see. There's, take a note, kindness. <laughs> kindness. Y'all, they're actually best friends. She responds and uses all throughout the book this particular term. She says, my beloved, which in the Hebrew is, in the Hebrew is uh, dodi. Dodi. It is translated as someone that I cherish. Someone that I cherish. What's happening is this. They enjoy being around each other. So engagement means there's genuine excitement about character and kindness. All right? Again, y'all, they're best friends. Best friends are best friends because they live and relate with each other. They are passionate about the same things. So something I want to focus the rest of our time on tonight is this. I think it's on the screen. Listen to this. Is Jesus everything to you and to the person you're engaged with or getting engaged with. Y'all, it's, it's simple. It's simple. It really is. Um, if you aren't sure about the answer to this question, well, then I would, I would encourage you to hold off on engagement. Highly encourage you to hold off on engagement. You both have to be deeply passionate about Christ. My wife quoted this last week, and it's too good not to quote again. Pastor and author Tommy Nelson once said, The loneliness of singleness does not compare to the loneliness of a king-sized bed next to someone who cannot speak to you about the deep love and grace of Jesus. Everlast, can I just, can I, can I plead with you? Don't settle. Do not settle. Find someone deeply passionate about loving Jesus.
like the boat analogy we mentioned earlier, how do we dock into each other's lives well and not cause a wreck? Well, easy. <laughs> Love Jesus. One way that shows Jesus is everything to you and the person you're engaged with or getting engaged with is this. Are both of you individually and together, for that matter, walking in the light? Are y'all walking in the light? What do I mean when I say walking in the light? To walk in the light is a common metaphor with Christian culture. It is often taken to mean acting correctly or even living openly. Biblically, however, the phrase has the idea of relinquishing sin by following Jesus. His kindness leads us to repentance. The only, check this out, the only Old Testament occurrence of this precise phrase is in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 5, which says, O house of Jacob, come and let us walk in the light of the Lord. The Psalms, uh, um, the Psalms contain similar phrases. Psalm 56, verse 13 says, For you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from uh, falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. I love that verse. Psalm 89, verse 15. I think it's on the screen for you. It says, Blessed are the people who know the festival shout, who walk, O Lord, in the light of your face. In the New Testament, y'all, walking in the light is directly related to following Jesus, who said, he himself said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Love that. While this verse doesn't directly say walk in the light, i.e. Jesus, it does pointedly warn of doing the opposite. Therefore, those who follow Jesus are walking in the light. To walk, in short, uh, is to live one's life, one's um, lifestyle, or a way of life that can be considered, that can be considered a, a walk. The, the word walk also indicates progress. Walking is related to growth. It is taking steps towards maturity. Are you mature in the Lord? He wants to grow you in that. The word light in the Bible can be a metaphor for life, happiness, um, righteousness, or understanding. The Bible is very clear that light comes from the Lord God. James 1 verse 17 says, God is the father of heavenly lights, meaning he is the opposite of evil. Putting it all together, specifically, walking in the light equals growing in holiness and maturing in the faith as we follow Jesus. That's on the screen for you if you're taking notes. Walking in the light equals growing in holiness and maturing in the faith as we follow Jesus. The Apostle John repeatedly, y'all repeatedly used uh, the light metaphor in relationship to, in relation, to, uh, relation to Jesus. John chapter 1 verse 9, he writes that he, Jesus, is the true light that gives light to every man. Hallelujah. In 1 John chapter 1 verse 7, he also writes, If we walk in the light as he, God, is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Woo! Love it. In verse 5, John says that God's very nature is light. Jesus then is the conduit or provider of light to the world. Our Christian duty is to live in the light God gives. Ephesians 5.8 says, Now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light. 
When we walk in the light, everlasting, we cannot walk in darkness. It's like water and oil. It just simply doesn't mix. It's crazy, though. Oh, man. It's crazy what we will do to minimize or permit sin. I've seen so many, many couples, when it comes to engagement, compromise their walk by saying and believing, well, we're getting married anyway, so we might as well just push the limit sexually. You know, we're getting married. Might as well. Y'all, y'all, listen, when it comes to engagement, just because you commit to get married doesn't give you permission to commit sin. And y'all, this is not legalism here, right? This, this is following a holy God who absolutely knows what's best for us and has set it up a certain way so that you can experience his joy and his goodness within the confines of the marriage union. I can testify Sex is a good thing. Hallelujah. But man, outside the confines of marriage, man, you want to sign your death wish to your relationship? Keep not walking in the light. Let's put it that way. But hallelujah, we have grace in Jesus. There's no condemnation for those who are in him. And that grace transforms our heart so that we desire to follow him, knowing not just with our head, but also our heart, both head and heart, that Jesus is bigger and better than anything that the world or sin has to offer. We can experience his joy. Y'all, there's so much hope in that. And listen, if you have had premarital sex or you're sexually active right now in all of its manifestations, I want you to look at me real quick. I want you to know this. And I want you to feel this. I just said it, but it's easy just to kind of let it go in one ear out the other. Y'all, there's so much grace for you. There's so much hope for you. Jesus is everything. I can testify to that. I love his restorative work. Love it. What my wife said about dating, though, last week applies all the more to, all the more to engagement. If, if, listen, if, if you are the person you're engaged to, don't walk in the light, fight for purity and fight against sin while you're engaged, like what's going to change that in marriage? Something else that is honorable mentioned to help you know Kind of moving on to know that you are being engaged. Or something, to, something else to help you to know, like if you're currently engaged with or looking to be engaged with this person. Something that you should feel and see, something super particular, something kind of specific. Check this out. Patience. Patience. Actor Will Ferrell put it really good. He said, before you marry a person, you should first make them use a computer with slow internet to see who they really are. <laughs> so true. You know, having patience is like having oxygen. It's vital to your relationship. And to have it in preparing for your union. Practically speaking, this gets put to the test when wedding plans are being made. <laughs> Throughout your engagement. 
But I love what Eugene Peterson said. He said, weddings are easy. Marriages are difficult. The couple wants to plan a wedding. God wants to plan a marriage. One other noteworthy mention is this, that you would both see and feel and have the desire for resolve. Resolve. What do you mean, Kev? Well, I mean that you fight for each other and to actually work through conflict into deeper unity. Here's what you want. To be engaged to someone who says, I'm not just fighting for victory in an argument, but I'm fighting for victory for us in the argument. It's a love that by the grace of God overcomes trials. How do you know true love? No trial can shake it. No temptation can lure it. You see within yourself and the other person a resolve to commit, even when it's hard. When you get married, you stand, y'all check, when you get married, you stand on a stage before God Almighty and everyone in attendance, and you declare something huge. You say, I promise to love you in sickness and in health until death do us part in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And you will take the name of the Trinity. <laughs> let, me, let me tell you something real quick. You don't want to make a statement like that and hope it's true. No, you want those words to be the exact reflection of what you already know is in your heart. You want to look them in the face and mean it before God and under God. So you need to, within yourself, while you're dating and, you know, a potential engagement, you need a commitment, a resolve to stay and fight for each other even when it's hard. But you don't just want a resolve to commit. You need a, a, a growing skill of communication. Woo! Communication. This will be definitely something Tina and I are going to be talking about more next week. You don't want to miss it. We're going to be co-teaching, talking through marriage. Everlast, God wants to be a part of every aspect of our lives, including who we marry. Having a clear Listen, having a clear understanding of God's word and developing a personal relationship with him through prayer and yielding to the direction of the Holy Spirit is the first and most important step in determining his will for us, let alone who you marry. The world's advice on engagement everlast should only be considered in light of God's truths in Scripture. If we seek his will in all that we do, he will direct our paths. Y'all, I will forever love this verse. Always. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. By the way, on a very practical note, we just really highly encourage, when it comes to engagement, premarital counseling. Gosh, I couldn't counsel and advise this more. <laughs> For those who are interested in engagement, our, our church offers y'all great counselors here and, and curriculum that simply helps you process and understand what comes next. Super helpful. Knowing this, y'all, and in light of what has been shared tonight through God's word, it is our prayer that you would know that you know Engagement, that is preparing for union, is the right step as you feel and see genuine excitement about their character, kindness, and patience. 
that who you are potentially going to walk the rest of this life on earth with would be deeply passionate about loving Jesus. That you yourself and who you are with are walking in the light. Which is growing in holiness and maturing in the faith as you follow Jesus. Letting his grace transform you and restore you. And that you are patient and resolve to commit and fight for the love you have for each other and ultimately Jesus. Amen? Let's pray.